waited the trained observer of the street that lay directly in front of her window. There was little that concerned the social movements of Tilling that could not be proved, or at least reasonably conjectured, from Miss Mapp's eyrie. Just below her house on the left stood Major Flint's residence, of Georgian red brick like her own, and opposite was that of Captain Puffin. They were both bachelors, though Major Flint was generally supposed to have been the hero of some amazingly amorous adventures in early life, and always turned the subject with great abruptness when anything connected with duelling was mentioned. It was not therefore unreasonable to infer that he had had experiences of a bloody sort, and colour was added to this romantic conjecture by the fact that in damp rheumatic weather his left arm was very stiff, and he had been known to say that his wound troubled him. What wound that was, no one exactly knew. It might have been anything from a vaccination mark to a sabre cut. For, having said that his wound troubled him, he would invariably add, Poh! That's enough about an old campaigner! And though he might subsequently talk of nothing else except the old campaigner, he drew a veil over his old campaigns. That he had seen service in India was indeed probable by his referring to lunch as Tiffin and calling to his parlour-maid with the ejaculation of Kai-Hai. As her name was Sarah, this was clearly a reminiscence of days in bungalows. When not in a rage, his manner to his own sex was bluff and hearty, but whether in a rage or not, his manner to the fairies or lovely women was gallant and pompous in the extreme. He certainly had a lock of hair in a small gold specimen case on his watch-chain, and had been seen to kiss it when, rather carelessly, he thought that he was unobserved. Miss Mapp's eye, as she took her seat in her window on this sunny July morning, lingered for a moment on the Major's house before she proceeded to give a disgusted glance at the pictures on the back page of her morning illustrated paper— which chiefly represented young women dancing in rings in the surf or lying on the beach in attitudes which Miss Mapp would have scorned to adjust herself to. Neither the Major nor Captain Puffin were very early risers, but it was about time that the first signals of animation might be expected. Indeed, at this moment she quite distinctly heard that muffled roar, which to her experienced ear was easily interpreted to be, Kai hi so the Major has just come down to breakfast, she mechanically inferred, and it's close on ten o'clock. Let me see. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, porridge morning. Her penetrating glance shifted to the house exactly opposite to that in which it was porridge morning, and even as she looked a hand was thrust out of a small upper window and a sponge deposited on the sill. Then from the inside the lower sash was thrust firmly down, so as to prevent the sponge from blowing away and falling into the street. Captain Puffin, it was therefore clear, was a little later than the Major that morning, but he always shaved and brushed his teeth before his bath, so that there was but a few minutes between them. General manoeuvres in Tilling, the gradual burstings of fluttering life from the chrysalis of the night, the emergence of the ladies of the town with their wicker baskets in their hands for housekeeping purchases, the exodus of men to catch the 11.20 a.m. steam tram out to the golf links, and other first steps in the duties and diversions of the day, did not get into full swing till half-past ten, and Miss Mapp had ample time to skim the headlines of her paper 
and indulge in chaste meditations about the occupants of these two houses before she need really make herself alert to miss nothing. Of the two, Major Flint, without doubt, was the more attractive to the feminine sense. For years Miss Mapp had tried to cajole him into marrying her, and had not nearly finished yet. With his record of adventure, with the romantic reek of India and camphor in the tiger-skin of the rugs that strewed his hall and surged like a rising tide up the wall, with his haughty and gallant manner, with his loud pawings and sniffs of nonsense and balderdash, his thumpings on the table to emphasize an argument, with his wound and his prodigious swipes at golf, his intolerance of any who believed in ghosts, microbes, or vegetarianism, there was something dashing and risky about him. You felt that you were in the presence of some hot coal straight from the furnace of creation. Captain Puffin, on the other hand, was of clay so different that he could hardly be considered to be made of clay at all. He was lame and short and meagre, with strings of peaceful beads and Papuan aprons in his hall instead of wild tiger skins, and had a jerky, inattentive manner and a high-pitched voice. Yet to Miss Mapp's mind there was something behind his unimpressiveness that had a mysterious quality, all the more so because nothing of it appeared on the surface. Nobody could call Major Flint, with his bawlings and his sniffings, the least mysterious. He laid all his loud cards on the table, great hulking kings and aces. But Miss Mapp felt far from sure that Captain Puffin did not hold a joker, which would sometime come to light. The idea of being Mrs. Puffin was not so attractive as the other, but she occasionally gave it her remote consideration. Yet there was a mystery about them both, in spite of the fact that most of their movements were so amply accounted for. As a rule, they played golf together in the morning, reposed in the afternoon, as could easily be verified by anyone standing on a still day in the road between their houses and listening to the loud and rhythmical breathings that fanned the tranquil air, certainly went out to tea parties afterwards and played bridge till dinner time, or if no such entertainment was proffered them, occupied armchairs at the country club or laboriously amassed a hundred at billiards. Though tea-parties were profuse, dining out was very rare at Tilling. Patience or a jigsaw puzzle occupied the hour or two that intervened between domestic supper and bedtime, but time and again Miss Mapp had seen lights burning in the sitting-room of those two neighbours, at an hour when such lights as were still in evidence at Tilling were strictly confined to bedrooms, and should indeed have been extinguished there and only last week, being plucked from slumber by some unaccountable indigestion for which she blamed a small green apple, she had seen at no less than twelve-thirty in the morning the lights in Captain Puffin's sitting-room still shining through the blind. This had excited her so much that at risk of toppling into the street she had craned her neck from her window and observed a similar illumination at the house of Major Flint. They were not together then, for in that case any prudent householder, and God knew that they both of them scraped and saved enough, or if he didn't know Miss Mapp did, would have quenched his own lights if he were talking to his friend in his friend's house. The next night, the pangs of indigestion having completely vanished, she set her alarm clock at the same timeless hour, and had observed exactly the same phenomenon. 
Such late hours, of course, amply accounted for these late breakfasts. But why, so Miss Mapp pithily asked herself, why these late hours? Of course, they both kept summer time, whereas most of Tilling utterly refused, except when going by train, to alter their watches because Mr. Lloyd George told them to. But even allowing for that... Then she perceived that summer time made it later than ever for its adherence, so that was no excuse. Miss Mapp had a mind that was incapable of believing the improbable, and the current explanation of these late hours was very improbable indeed. Major Flint often told the world in general that he was revising his diaries, and that the only uninterrupted time which he could find in this pleasant whirl of life at Tilling was when he was alone in the evening. Captain Puffin, on his part, confessed to a student's curiosity about the ancient history of Tilling, with regard to which he was preparing a monograph. He could talk, when permitted, by the hour about reclamation from the sea of the marshland south of the town, and about the old Roman road which was built on a raised causeway of which traces remained. But it argued, so thought Miss Mapp, an unprecedented egoism on the part of Major Flint, and an equally unprecedented love of antiquities on the part of Captain Puffin, that they should prosecute their studies with gas at the present price till such hours. No, Miss Mapp knew better than that, but she had not made up her mind exactly what it was that she knew. She mentally rejected the idea that egoism, even in these days of diaries and autobiographies and antiquities, accounted for so much study, with the same healthy intolerance with which a vigorous stomach rejects unwholesome food, and did not allow herself to be insidiously poisoned by its retention. But as she took up her light aluminum optic,